hey, you're going to see some amazing things in the book of Zechariah, some mysteries, and you are going to be amazed. I, I promise that you are going to see things that you have never seen before, researching this and looking into it, how, how the Messiah comes back on the Mount of Olives and the the both the mountains splits in two and, and one goes to the north, one goes to the east, one side, and there's a valley and this river of living water described in Ezekiel comes from Jerusalem. There's so much to this. I can't wait to get into it with you, my friends. Hey, my name is George Crabb. Welcome to my channel. We're finding the Messiah Jesus in all of the Old Testament scriptures. If you haven't subscribed, hit that subscribe button down below. You're going to get all the latest episodes. We're doing a series right now and finding Jesus in all of the Old Testament. And it's called Road to Emmaus. Um, just really stoked on this. And I promise you, you are going to be blessed as you see Jesus. Your heart is going to burn with joy as you discover Jesus the Messiah, or you could say Yeshua the Messiah if you're in Israel, in all of the scriptures, all of them, my friend. Here we go. Let's get into it, you guys. All right. So Zechariah, and this is quoted from the scripture, behold your king on a donkey. He's going to be riding on the donkey, on the colt. And we know that Jesus came down. He descended down the Mount of Olives on Good Friday or Palm, not Good Friday, I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. They call it the triumphal entry as he went into Jerusalem. So let's look at some of more of the scriptures here. So here's a timeline before we get into the scriptures. We always want to look at our timeline. So we saw in the beginning there was creation, or actually in the beginning, God. Before anything, he was like outside of time. God, just, he, I believe that he actually made time. Like God is not subject to time. Time is subject to God. A lot of people think, you know, well, God couldn't have done it that way because how could he have done it? You know, He's got to have so much time to do this, this, and this. Well, God created time. He created everything. He doesn't have to answer to time. Time is subject to him, my friend. So in the beginning, God. In the end, God. We know in Revelation, the book of Revelation says, I am the beginning and the end. He's in the middle too. He's he's outside of all of this. We are under the control of time as human beings. Like, like C.S. Lewis said, we are moving 60 minutes per hour toward the end of our life or maybe toward the end of when Jesus returns. So God is not subject to time. So anyway, we see Adam and Eve, the creation, right, of the, of the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve. Then we see the flood. Then we see Abraham and Isaac. Um, I'm going to give that full presentation for you so you can see this timeline. Abraham and Isaac right here. And then we could see um, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, or Yosef. We see Moses right around 1400 to 1200 BC. And then we see Joshua after him. Then we see David, David, 1000 before Christ or BC. They call it before common era now, but you know we'll just go with before Christ. And then Elijah and Elisha. And then we see Isaiah right around 700 BC, Jeremiah. Daniel and Ezekiel, and right around here after Ezekiel, we know we have Zechariah, right around 517 BC is when he wrote the book of, what the scholars believe he wrote the book of Zechariah, which is full of prophecies. And then there was like 400 years of silence between that and 0 AD, which means Anno Domini, or the year of our Lord. And that's when Jesus was born. And then 32 AD, he was 33 years old. You don't count the zero. 
We know that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, and paid for the price as the perfect Lamb of God paid for the price for all of us if we receive him and believe in him, and we will be saved and live forever with him. Later, we see Saul. His name was changed to Paul. It was right around 35 AD. He was a a Pharisee who became a heavy-duty follower of Jesus Christ. Later, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Horrible day that was. Um, and then we see John, the revelator, who, who wrote the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. That was 95 AD because we know Domitian was the emperor of Rome at that time. And then we have this church age, right? The, the age of grace, as it's called, this big pause in that Daniel study we looked at, that there's that pause between the 69th week or sevens and then that last seven-year period, which we don't know when that'll happen, but it will happen. 1948, the nation of Israel became a, a full-on nation, and uh, here we are traveling through time at 60 minutes per hour, right? We're moving along here on this, on this timeline. We're right over here somewhere. We don't know when the end is, but we want to watch and be ready as Jesus told us to do. All right. Good stuff, right? Okay. So Zechariah. Zechariah, it's quoted 40 times in the New Testament. You know, there's there's three big ones. It's the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and the Torah, first five books written in the Bible by Moses, right? And then there's Isaiah. He's another big one where he's quoted in the New Testament a lot, and then the Psalms. But then right after that, we see Zechariah quoted 40 times in the New Testament. So it's worth looking at as a Christian for sure. Okay, Zechariah was born in Babylon. Then he moved to Jerusalem. It's kind of the opposite of Ezekiel and Daniel, right? They were born in Jerusalem, and then they were taken to exile as captives, and they were brought into Babylon. They were moved into Babylon. That's where they died. But here we see Zechariah born in captivity in Babylon. Then he's freed, and he moves to the beautiful city of Jerusalem to rebuild it with Nehemiah and Ezra. And we're going to look at that right now. So Zechariah was around the same time as Nehemiah and Ezra. Here we go, right? Really cool stuff. And then also Nehemiah... Uh, chapter 12, we see that he talks about Zechariah and a few other guys, a bunch of other guys. He lists him, Zechariah coming to Jerusalem because Zechariah was a priest. He was of the priestly uh, tribe and family. And uh, just like Ezekiel was and Jeremiah was, but they were sad too. These guys had rough lives, you know, Ezekiel and especially Jeremiah. Anyway, so Ezra, Ezra was around the same time as Nehemiah when they were rebuilding the the, uh, walls of the ancient city of Jerusalem that was destroyed, and and then eventually the temple, right? They rebuilt the temple as God commanded them. So he was right around Ezra's time. Ezra chapters 5 and 6 mention the ministry of Zechariah and Haggai, these two prophets, these two main prophets of that time. And they encouraged the people to rebuild Jerusalem. So Haggai was also, he was uh, Zechariah's buddy. They were like two peas in a pod. And and Haggai was more of like a drill instructor, like an army drill sergeant. And he was an exhorter, like, get off your butts and let's make this happen, right? That's kind of the picture we see with Haggai. Zechariah was more of an encourager. He was more like the cheerleading coach, like, you guys are doing great. And that's what we see with these two prophets. Okay, 
Zechariah's prophecies go from the time, uh, from the rebuilding all the way, the rebuilding of the walls and Jerusalem, all the way to the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. You know, the first coming where he was, he died and he was the suffering servant, as Isaiah 53 shows us. And then the return as the great warrior and the mighty king who's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. It's going to be so awesome. I can't wait for that day. Okay, now let's keep going and, and look at Zechariah's chapters 1 through 8 are about rebuilding the temple. Here's an image of Solomon's temple, how beautiful it was. Well, that was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. They completely destroyed this, and uh, they're going back to rebuild it now with Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel, who was like the city official. And then Zechariah's chapters 9 through 14 are about the Messiah. So it shifts from the rebuilding to the Messiah the Messiah to come, and it's going to be so good. I can't wait to get in this with you guys. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So Zechariah, Messiah will come, then he will return, and he will rule forever. That's what we see as an outline, uh, kind of an overall theme of the book of Zechariah. So good, is it not, my friend? So, hey, if you haven't subscribed, my friend, hit that button down below. There's so many videos. You can look at some of the history. We did videos on Joseph uh, in Genesis, the flood, all these different videos and how you could see the Messiah in all of them, my friend. It's so good. It'll bless your heart, I promise you. So don't forget, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell, and please comment down below. I'd love to hear, especially you guys in Israel, I'd love to hear your comments. Even if you disagree, please comment below. And I will try and respond to you on those things. So, all right. Looking forward to this. This is so good, you guys. Okay, so let's go into some more of the scripture. And here we have, um, oh, before we do that, just a real quick little side note, little change up, right? I wanted to talk about this guy right here. So, so the composer, George Frederick Handel. You guys have heard of Handel's Messiah, this famous song, right? Composed this Handel's Messiah, they call it, in 1741. And in it, he says, he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And you guys know halle means praise or boast in. And then it's not ja, but it's ya, hallelujah, like we pronounce it. It's pronounced the same all over the world, by the way. And that just means praise the Lord, Yahweh. That's short for, Yah is short for Yahweh. So, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so that's what we're, we're saying when we say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Remember, Messiah will come. This is the theme of Zechariah. He will return and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> All right, Zechariah, back to it. So let's go to chapter four. And it says here in chapter four, he sees this vision. He has a couple, he has like four of these main visions. That's how his prophecies are. It's kind of interesting how it's laid out. But an angel in verse one of chapter four, an angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awoken out of his sleep or awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I, I see and behold a lampstand of gold and with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. 
And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? So, so he's asking this angel, what, what are these? So he sees a lampstand, right? This is like the one, this is the one that the Temple Institute wants to put back in Jerusalem. And this is the one they created, this gold menorah or seven golden lampstand. What is it? Okay, so it was fully, it was full of olive oil. And it was the high priest's job to keep this full and topped off with olive oil. Okay. And what it did is it kept these flames, these seven flames burning bright and hot. And it gave people great hope. Like, like in the story of the Maccabees, Hanukkah, which means festival of lights, that light was all about this, the menorah, the light that was lit in there miraculously, if you know the story of the Maccabees. So here, the, the high priest's job was to keep the oil in, which kept these, these seven golden lampstands burning bright and hot. Well, we know, my friend, we know that in the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it tells us in chapter one that the, there's a seven golden lampstand, and it even tells us, the book of Revelation gives us a commentary on what it is. It was always representing the church, the seven churches listed in Revelation, like, the, like, like Israeli history. Remember, Joseph put his brothers in order. Remember that from the tribes, from their birth. And then we see this. I believe that the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 were in order in church history. Also, the church as a whole moving forward, just like the 12 tribes of Israel are moving forward in time. Well, these churches are moving forward in time as well. And I believe that this represent. well, the Revelation says it represented the churches, the menorah, the seven golden lampstand. And it says that Jesus was walking in the midst of the lampstand. Remember in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, written especially for the Jewish people, it says that the high priest was always a picture and a foreshadowing of a type of Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua. And what was over his chest, over his heart, my friend, what was over the high priest's heart? We know that he had the 12 precious stones with the names of each tribe of Israel engraved over his heart. Well, what happened when the, when the priest kept this lit, the oil poured in, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit poured in to these churches? They burn brighter and the light reflects off of the precious stones, the 12 tribes of Israel over his heart, and they shine brighter as well. You see that? It's a beautiful picture of how it should be. When there's revival, when the church is being poured into by the Holy Spirit from Jesus, there's a revival. Then the church shines brightly upon the nation of Israel, my friend. <laughs> you may disagree with me, but hey, I think that that is true. So anyway, let's move on with the, the, the uh, presentation here. So Zechariah chapter 4. Verse 5, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was working with Nehemiah and Ezra. He was like the city official, kind of like the mayor of Jerusalem, and he was the leader. So the, the Lord wants to encourage Zerubbabel because there's all these nations around them, just like today, these nations around Israel and the region, even the world, the UN, and they can't stand Israel. They hate Israel. And they, they were writing letters to Zerubbabel and to Nehemiah saying, what are you guys doing rebuilding this wall? 
you don't need to do that. We'll have peace, right? Kind of like today, right? We'll have peace. Uh, no, I don't think so. They followed what the Lord said, and they did rebuild the wall, which was right. Okay, so this is what he says. He's encouraging Zechariah the prophet. is here to encourage Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my what? Spirit says the Lord of hosts. Not by, I'm going to look at that again. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, even these little teachings I do here on, on uh, YouTube, it's not by my might, nor by my power, or anybody else's power, but by the spirit of God, by my spirit, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts. That's how I want it to be. I don't want it to ever be my, by my power. And people who know me know it's not. They know I am not smart, okay? <laughs> I make all kinds of mistakes in life. I am not even a good guy all the time. I'm, I'm a sinner still. But it's by the power of the Spirit, especially when we present the gospel, my friends. We have more power. If you are a Christian and you share the gospel with somebody, you will never speak more powerfully. God will give you the power through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, and, and he will overflow you. And those who you're talking to will sense that power. They will know. <laughs> and that's the thing about the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. Okay, so Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. So God, through Zechariah, is encouraging Zerubbabel. So these nations around him, they were like these mountains, these powerful nations. But the Spirit of God was with Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra and Zechariah and Haggai. So here it is, guys. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace grace to it. Perhaps the people of Israel were shouting out grace, grace to it, grace, right? The loving kindness and the tender mercies of our Lord as they put that stone, that top stone on, right? The chief cornerstone, the crowning stone as Jesus is referred to. So good, right? So chapters 9 through 14 in the book of Zechariah are about the Messiah, my friend. They're about the Messiah. So this is like the second part of Zechariah. It's so good. Okay, chapter 9. This is a great scripture, okay? This one right here was fulfilled when Jesus came down, descending down the Mount of Olives, going into Jerusalem, riding on the donkey, as recorded in the New Testament, it was recorded in Matthew chapter, uh, actually Matthew, I think it's recorded in John 2. Find it yourself. But here we go. Let's read it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming. Remember, Jesus was 
they were shouting out, you're the king of Israel, Hosanna, they were shouting out. He's coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. The name Yeshua or Joshua means that right there. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. So when a king in those days came in peace, he rode in on a donkey. When a king came for war, he rode in on a horse. All right, that's what was going on during this time. So people understood that. So Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry as it's called, because this day he came through this east gate. Palm Sunday, it was a Sunday, we know that. And they were, people were laying down palm branches before the donkey that Jesus rode in on from the Mount of Olives down through the East Gate and into Jerusalem. And the people were shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna. So remember this? We did this last time in, in the study in Daniel, right? Um, Daniel chapter 9, it says, <clears throat> Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time uh, the, the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Okay, we know that this happened in history, and, this, and Daniel gives us the exact amount of years for when the Messiah will come right there. So remember the scripture, the scripture we just read in Daniel chapter 9 said the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. That's when this will happen. Well, the edict to rebuild Jerusalem was the first year, right? The first year of Nisan, the Jewish month, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. We know Artaxerxes gave the decree to Nehemiah and Ezra to go rebuild the temple. And that was 14 March 445 BC in our calendars in America, right? The Roman Gregorian calendar. We know that for a fact. Okay, so what happened was there was a command to rebuild Jerusalem, 14 March, 445 BC. A man by the name of Sir Robert Anderson figured out the exact number of days. He did the leap years, all that stuff, and the, the prophetic years of 360 days, which is what the prophetic Jewish calendar was. And he came up with 1,073, uh, 1, days, okay? From this date, moving forward to 6 April 32 AD, which is 10 Nisan on the Jewish calendar, which is Palm Sunday. 6 April 32 AD was a Sunday, and it was 10 Nisan. Now watch this, okay? There was palm branches, right? Uh, recorded by the Apostle John, who was a follower of Jesus Christ. In chapter 12, verse 13, it says, So they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They were shouting this out. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were angry that the people were doing this, telling Jesus, you got to make them stop. Jesus said this, right? When they said that to him, he said, if they stop, the very stones would start shouting out praises to me. So this made them even more furious, but it was true. Jesus is always telling us the truth. All right, so here's a close-up of it. Palm Sunday, he descends down the Mount of Olives. People were laying palm branches down before him as he entered the gate. That was 
Sunday 10 Nisan, or 6 April 32 AD. Jesus was 33 years old. You know, we don't count the zero, so it fits in perfectly. And it's going to fit in the rest of this whole week, which is called Holy Week by some people. All right, so Monday the 11th, Tuesday the 12th of Nisan, or Wednesday the 13th. There was That was preparation for the Passover meal. Remember, Jesus had this Passover meal with his disciples. And then the 14th of Nisan, that's always Passover, right? Because that's what God commanded Moses in the book of Exodus, and this fits perfectly. So Thursday would have been the Passover. They had the Passover meal together, him and the disciples, remember that? And then, remember, Judas went and, and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then Friday was a preparation for Sabbath. So this all fits in perfectly with the flow of how the scriptures go. So Friday the 15th, he was crucified, and it was preparation for Sabbath. Saturday was the Sabbath, the 16th. And then Sunday, bam, 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 Jesus was raised from the dead, my friend. 17 Nisan, he was raised from the dead. And we know that 17 Nisan was the same exact day, okay, of the month of Nisan, that the ark rested on the mountaintop. Remember, Noah's ark rested on the 17th day of Nisan. It was a whole new world. It was awesome. It was Noah and his family starting a whole new thing. And that's what Jesus did when he was resurrected, my friend. It was also the same day the children of Israel moved all the way through the Red Sea. The waters collapsed upon their enemies, destroying their enemies. And they were on the other side. It was the dawning of the new day. What day was that? 17 Nisan. Pretty cool stuff, right? Okay. In the book of Revelation, we see that after this, I looked. This is the future, you guys. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, from uh, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So there'll be another time where we celebrate Jesus with palm branches. Zechariah chapter 9. Okay, let's keep continuing. Verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. My friend, this is speaking of the return of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, his second coming. That's what this is speaking of in chapter 11 right here. We're seeing it so clearly. Then it goes back to, so you'll see stuff like that, right? And uh, we'll, we'll look at it real quick. So you'll see chapter 9, verse 10. Um, I will, you know, I will cut off. So this speaks of the, the second coming of Christ to rule and reign from Jerusalem. But then you see what, what happens is you see it, uh, it's kind of like looking at a, a mountain range or a forest from really far, far away. And if you look at something from really far away, it, it appears as this big flat image, right? Like just one mountain range or one big forest. But as you draw closer it to it, as you move forward in time and you get closer, it starts to become three-dimensional. You see some trees are closer than the ones way far away. It's not just one flat image, but some of them are closer, some of them are far away. 
And that's how this prophecy works. As you get closer in time to it, you see that Jesus fulfilled much of this already. And then you see this stuff that was further away, which is still coming, right? The future prophecies of his return. So that's what you see in a lot of these books that are kind of mixed in there in scriptures. It's not in chronological order, but we know it's a big image. It's a it's like a signpost or like a, a, a painting, but as you get closer, it's like a live painting. You get inside of it, you see that it's three-dimensional. So I hope that helps you. So, so chapter 11 of Zechariah. We see this, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. If not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages, 30 pieces of silver. We know that Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? And then verse 13, then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. That was fulfilled when Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And that was the price of a slave that was gored by an oxen. So it was like less than a slave. And that's the price that they put on Jesus. And it was all meant to be to fulfill scripture. It's not like a a hit against the Jewish people or anything like that. It was Jesus himself and the Father who brought him to to go and die on the cross. It was for all of our sins. And some people try and blame the Jewish people. That's so wrong. It's so wrong. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the Jewish people. It wasn't the, the world who put Jesus on the cross. It was his love for us. It was God who put himself on the cross, okay? So Zechariah chapters 12 through 14 are about the second coming of Christ. This is exciting. This is stuff that still has to happen. See, we are still living in the Bible, you guys. The Bible's not history that's all been fulfilled and we're just kind of waiting around. No, we are living in that Bible. Jesus has not returned. The second coming has not happened yet. And it's exciting. We're waiting for him. We're looking up waiting. So Zechariah 12 says, on that day, on that day, what day? It's about the day of the Lord, his return. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. Remember David, the great warrior, right? And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them, and on that day I will seek to destroy all of the nations that come against Jerusalem. Wow. On that day, he says. And then it says in verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. We know that Jesus was crucified and he was pierced. He was bore through and pierced. Isaiah says it in Isaiah chapter 53, Psalm 22, it says it. 
Here we're seeing it again, repeated three times, you guys, that he was pierced for our sins. So they will look upon him, you guys. It says right here, they will look upon him uh, and a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy will come upon them as they look upon him whom they pierced and they will mourn for him. Remember Joseph's story? Remember his brothers come back, the, the tribes of Israel? It was during a time of great trouble and their faces were down, bowed down to the ground. And he says, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. He said that in Hebrew, but I am Joseph. They were scared. They were like, oh, no. But he says, come closer. Ani Yosef, come closer. Don't be afraid. And he revealed who he was to them. He showed them great loving kindness and tender mercies, chesed in Hebrew. And then he embraced each one of them and wept with them. Here in the scripture in Zechariah chapter 12, it says that they will weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. But he will forgive them and he loves the nation of Israel. They're the apple of his eyes still, which we also see in the book of Zechariah. They are the apple. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Has that changed? No. God still loves Israel, you guys. Okay, so chapter 14, it says, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. Okay, this is speaking of the future, you guys. All right, we know in Ezekiel, um, the nations come against Israel, especially Jerusalem, and then God ends up wiping them out. So we're seeing this in Zechariah as well, right? So all the nations, has that ever happened yet? Have all the nations came against Jerusalem? No, that, that is something future, my friend. That has not been fulfilled yet. Zechariah 14 also says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. The Lord will come. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations. Not the nation of Israel itself, but the Lord, okay? The Lord will do it. <laughs> so Zechariah 14 says this, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives that shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that, that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. So the mountain will be split from east to west, and the mountain itself will become two mountains. <laughs> this is amazing, is it not, my friend? Oh, I love this stuff. So in the book of Acts, speaking after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or actually it's describing what happened when he ascended back up into heaven. So this is after his resurrection from the dead, and he's with his disciples. And it says here in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, and when, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, right? And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, remember they were looking up, right? As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? heaven. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
Remember, they were looking up. He will come back the same way. He will come back in the air, in the clouds. And he says here that you will see him the same way. Where was this? Where did this happen, my friend? Where? It happened on the Mount of Olives. See how this is? The scriptures are always, the Old Testament gives us an explanation of the New Testament. So Zechariah says that he will come down, touch the Mount of Olives, and it will split in two into this big valley. And we know that in Acts, it says that Jesus will come down just as he ascended. Where? Right there on the Mount of Olives. That's where he ascended from the disciples. It was right there, the same place. Isn't that awesome, you guys? I love the scriptures, don't you? So good. Okay, so here is a picture of the African Rift fault line or African Rift Valley. There's a big fault line that runs up through the Red Sea, up into the Dead Sea, and northward all the way up through Syria and beyond. Well, there was a great earthquake in 32, I says 33 here, that's wrong, 32 AD, and it says in Matthew that rocks were split. Well, they found evidence of this in this fault line that there was an earthquake so massive right around the beginning, like around 0 AD, not 0 AD, but, you know, 32 AD, that was so massive that rocks were crumbling and they split. We know that when Jesus died, Matthew recorded that rocks split, right? Rocks broke when Jesus died. And recently, they discovered right here in Jerusalem, there's a fault line that goes east and west. Guess what? Right through, yep, you guessed it, the Mount of Olives. So here's Jerusalem, right? And Mount of Olives right there. They found this fault line that goes right through, you guys. Okay, watch this. Here, if we're standing on the Mount of Olives, it says in Zechariah that Jesus will come and the mountain will split in two. You know, in Ezekiel, there's this river of living water that comes out of the east gate and it flows down into the Red Sea and heals the, the I'm sorry, the Dead Sea and heals the water. And it does go to the Red Sea too eventually and it will heal the waters and the, the fish will live. It's All the fish are dead right now. There's nothing living in it right now. But there will be fresh water and fish will live in it. And then the river will go the other direction as well toward the Red Sea. And I'm sorry, the Mediterranean Sea. Interestingly, run a straight line through this where I think it was the original East Gate underneath the Golden Gate of today. If you run that straight line through the Dome of the Spirits, which a lot of scholars believe was where the, um, the Ark of the Covenant was, right? And it takes you a straight line to the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre on this hill where Jesus's cross was. Very interesting, right? So here's the picture of that sealed golden gate. We know this this guy had it sealed. Uh, um, his name was Suleiman the Magnificent. He heard that the Jewish Messiah was going to come through this beautiful gate that he had made in 1517 17 AD, right? And then so he had it sealed shut. But all he did was fulfill scripture in Ezekiel that this gate would be sealed until Messiah comes. So it's so good. Okay, Zechariah chapter 14. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. We looked at this scripture already and uh, how awesome it is. Um, how he's, he, he's coming back to that same same spot you guys so so good i love these scriptures don't you so 
This Jesus, the scripture said in Acts chapter 1, who, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. My friend, if you have not received Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah, if you're in Israel, I would do it today so that when he comes back, you will be ready. You are a child of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you, and you will be recognized as one of his as he returns down and touches his feet on that Mount of Olives, splits in two, right? And you will become, you will be one of his followers. Don't you want that to be you? I received Jesus Christ when I was 13 years old, and it was like this heavy weight of burdens and dirty sins were just lifted off of me. I've had this sense of freedom and peace, indescribable, so good, my friend. And then the Holy Spirit filled my heart, like a warm uh, feeling of just this rushing warm water over my soul and into my heart, you guys. And you can experience it too. You can have this promise that God gives you, my friend, that if you believe in him, it's in Romans chapter 10, you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. This could be for you, my friend. All you have to do is say this prayer right after me. All right? Just say this prayer. Repeat it after me. You're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to invite you into my heart, into my life. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross. You can say these words after me and receive him right now. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer between you and God. Ready? All right, repeat after me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me of my sin. I thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross, for shedding your blood for me, and for being raised in three days. And I believe that you are alive today. And I want to follow you as my Lord and as my Savior from this day forward. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me. I keep turning to you. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, my friend. If you did that, congratulations. All of heaven rejoices right now because of what you did. You are now a child of God. You can call God Father. That's what the Bible says. Read Matthew, the Olivet uh, Discourse. Actually, it's the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And you could read where he says, you can call God Father, Abba. Just like you people in Israel, you know your little kids, they, they call you Abba if you're a dad, right? That's what you can do. Amazing, isn't it? All right, you guys. So God bless you and God bless his kingdom coming to this world soon, I believe. God bless you.